As you are willing and able, would you join me in standing to hear the proclamation of God's word? It's reading taken from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. We're reminded that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, guiding us in all that is right and true. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Ron. I can understand reading that passage makes you want to give thanks to the Lord right away. So thank you so much. We have, uh, today we just finished our Sunday school class on evangelism. And one of the things that we have done in that class is talk about different ways that the gospel can be summarized. And so this morning I wanted to share with you a brief summary of the gospel that fits well with Romans chapter 5. It is It's on our website, a video of this. We have shared it with you through email over the last couple weeks. So maybe some of you have had the chance to listen to it or hear it. And we want you to know it's available there for your own benefit. But also if you want to use it as a resource to share with others who may be uh, interested in learning what the gospel is about. So this is one summary and it's called Gospel 321. If you can remember those, those numbers, 321 they can help you remember some key aspects to share with people. It's called the story of God, the world, and you. So we begin with three. God is three persons united in love. In the beginning, there were three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not three different gods, but one God who is an unbreakable unity of three, a tri-unity, or we get that word, trinity. 
And the main thing about the Trinity is not that it is a doctrine that is impossible for us to understand fully, although it is. But the main thing about it is that it is the good news that God is love. Forever the Father has loved his Son and the unity of the Spirit. And as you read through the scriptures, you will find various portraits of the Trinity. One of them occurs at Jesus' baptism. If you remember that occasion, you will remember that we see the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus while we hear the Father declare from above, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. That's a snapshot of God's eternal life. The Father has always been loving the Son and the joy of the Holy Spirit. And what's amazing is that this Father of love wants to share. He wants to bring more and more children into his fellowship of love. So the Father made the world through his Son by the Spirit to declare his glory, to reveal his greatness, and so that billions more children could come and join his family. So you and I, we were made to hear his verdict. You are my child whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. The meaning of life is to find our place in the three. Now we move to number two. The story of the world is the story of two men. God placed one man, Adam, at the head of the world to bless it, to care for it. But Adam did not trust God. And so he did not obey God, his creator, and his rebellion and his sin plunged the entire world into death and curse. It was a cosmic fall from grace. And so now we all share in Adam's broken humanity. We feel the curse of this broken world. We could say that the human race is like a Christmas tree, one that has been cut down, been removed from its natural habitat, and we might, like a Christmas tree, we might dress ourselves up in all kinds of fancy decorations, all kinds of good deeds that we may try to do, but we are dead. There's no spiritual life in us, and we're headed for the bonfire. This is the race of Adam, all of humanity. We stand under God's condemnation. God has pronounced an eternal no to that way of life. He's designed something very different for us. And so God in his mercy and grace has made it possible for all of us to find true life in a second Adam, Jesus Christ. You know, Christmas also reminds us that Jesus came as a man. He entered into our broken world. He took up our lost cause like a champion who wins the battle for us. He stepped into our shoes and he lived the perfect life that we could never live. And then on the cross, he died the cursed death that we deserved to die. So Jesus, what was he doing? He was summing up Adam's nature and curse and he was taking it down to the hellish death that it deserves. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, Jesus rose again to new life beyond death, beyond the curse, and he invites us now into his eternal life and to his forever family. And so we come to the last number. Number one, you are one with Adam. Will you be one with Jesus? See, the human condition is Adam's condition. As chips off the old block, we share in his inheritance, his selfishness, his death, his disconnection from God. One with Adam, we have no life in ourselves, no hope for the future. But Jesus has come to offer us a stunning oneness with himself. So we can be one with Jesus like in a marriage. 
Imagine a marriage between a prince and a pauper. She's poor and, and destitute, with a shameful name, a hopeless future. Yet, the good, kind prince has purposed and chosen to love her. And he offers himself to her in marriage. And as soon as they are united, what happens? He takes all her debts and she gets all his riches. He covers over her shameful name. He gives her his name. She's invited into his life, his family, his inheritance. Through the prince, she can now call the king her father. And all because of their marriage union. Beloved, it's like that with Jesus Christ. If we receive him, all that is ours becomes his. Our sin, our curse, our death, he takes it and pays it for it on the cross. And all that is his, his life, his righteousness, his inheritance becomes ours. If we are one with Jesus right now, we are adopted into his family. We have his spirit as our spirit. We have his father as our father. We belong to our brothers and sisters in the church. We call on the same father and we do hear his verdict of love spoken over us. You are my child whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. These are indeed our privileges right now. And when Christ returns, which he will, we all share in his physical immortal life. He will raise us bodily and he will set his world, his creation to right. On that day when God judges the world, forever confirming his no to Adam and his yes to Christ. You are born one with Adam, but there's no future in that life. And with arms outstretched, Jesus offers you a new life. He offers you himself, his very life, his family, his life, his future is yours. If you only repent and trust in him. Be one with Jesus. The three invite you in. The two determine the world. Will you be one with the Son of God? Well, that is a gospel summary that fits exactly with what Paul is describing for us in Romans chapter 5. You see, what Paul does in this paragraph is he compares and contrasts Adam, the first man, the father of all humanity, with Jesus Christ, the second Adam, the father of the new humanity. Paul says in verse 14 that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. That is, Adam was a pattern of Christ. Christ is the one who was to come. So the actions of both Adam and Jesus have a far-reaching impact. What they do, what they have earned, the merits of what they do are transferred to others. So Paul says that every man and woman, every boy and child, we all start life in Adam. We are in Adam by virtue of physical birth, but we have the opportunity to be in Christ by new birth, by being born again. Last week we looked at this passage and I began by asking the question, what's wrong with the world? Or what's wrong with us? And there are many problems in the world. But if you dig down deep and you get to the root, the foundation of the, them all, what do you find? The same root problem. And that is the sin of the first created man, Adam in the Garden of Eden. That's why Paul says in verse 12, Therefore, 
Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Adam sinned, and we all now are born under the reign of sin and death. We are born sinners. This is the doctrine of original sin, which means that we are guilty before God because of what we inherit from our father Adam. He acted as our representative, and we sinned in him when he sinned. That's why everyone is born guilty, deserving of God's judgment. And then also we prove this to be true by our own sinful actions. But we sin because we are born sinners. And ultimately that's why everyone dies as God's judgment on the sin of Adam. Well, today we could ask the opposite question. What's right with the world? Or what's right with us? And if you dig down deep and you get to the root of it, Anything that is truly good, that is truly holy or pleasing in the sight of a holy God is due to the same root cause. The obedience, the righteousness of the second Adam, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God sent his son, his only son, Jesus, into the world to save us from the condemnation of Adam, from the reign of sin and death that we were under and to bring us into his eternal life. Now, last week, we mainly looked at what we inherit from Adam. Today, I want us to consider what we can freely receive from Jesus Christ. So you could say this is a two-part sermon. If you missed last week's, we'd encourage you to listen to it online or in some other way. And let me just say, two sermons is not enough. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached 26 sermons on this one chapter. So you'd be thankful this is only part two. Or maybe not. It's such good news. We couldn't do that many. But today we want to look at what we can freely receive in Jesus Christ. And here's the main thing. For those of you who are in Christ, grace abounds and reigns in your life through Jesus Christ. That is your new reality. Grace abounds and reigns in your life through Jesus Christ. What Christ has done for all who are in him, is infinitely greater than what Adam has done for those who are in him. And my prayer today is that every single one of us will go home rejoicing because of the abounding grace and love of God that we have in Christ. And that we also will pray for and tell someone else this great and good news. Well, today I want to point out just three of the blessings that we have in Christ from Romans chapter 5. In Christ, we receive the abundance of grace, we receive justification, the free gift of righteousness, and ultimately, grace reigns in our life through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So first, in Christ, we receive the abundance of grace. In verse 15, Paul says, the free gift is not like the trespass. It is far different, and it is far better. One man's trespass brought death. The one sin of Adam brought death to all. But much more has the grace of God abounded for all who are in Christ. As we think about that, it's natural for us to ask the question, what is grace? And it's good for us to be reminded that grace is the unmerited favor of God. It is unmerited. That means you do not earn it. 
You do not deserve it. It doesn't come to you because of who you are or what you have done. In fact, the opposite is true. From the sin and death that you inherit in Adam and then prove to be true in yourself by your own actions, you earn or you merit death. God's judgment, his wrath. God should be against you based on what Adam has done and on what you yourself have confirmed in your life. But instead, in Christ, God is for you. And he pours out his favor on you. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. We see in Ephesians 1. Grace is God's unmerited favor. So we've shared you, with you before that, that acronym using the word grace. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And then add this phrase at the end, for undeserving sinners. Grace is God's unmerited favor. God's riches at Christ's expense for undeserving sinners. But God's grace is not an abstract idea or thing. It comes to you from God through Jesus and the very person of Jesus Christ. It's in Christ and in Christ alone that you receive the abundance of grace. Now, as we meditate on these blessings that we have in Christ, don't miss the way that Paul talks about them. Try to catch his enthusiasm, his emphasis, his joy. So listen to how he talks about it. That phrase, free gift, he uses that phrase five times in this short section. Free gift, free gift, free gift. Twice, he will use the phrase, much more, much more. He's trying to help us see how much greater these blessings are, how much greater the work of Christ is over what Adam has done. And then when he speaks of the grace of God, he uses this word or this concept, abounded. Three times, verse 15, this grace abounded for many. Verse 17, the abundance of grace. Verse 20, grace abounded all the more. So, so listen for that, hear it and what he's saying. Beloved, there's no lack in God's grace. It will never run out. It is much more, it's much greater than you could ever imagine. And God is not stingy. He is generous. He is bountiful in lavishing his grace upon you. The grace of God was not trained up in the frugal ways of Lancaster County. He is not like the parent with limited means and concerned about whether or not the child has earned what they will receive. Will they be responsible? No, God's grace is more like that first-time grandparent. No mortgage, no debt. The retirement account is full and overflowing. Plenty of disposable income who, who just delights in spoiling his beloved grandchild. A heart bursting full of love and joy and delight. In Christ, we receive the abundance of God's grace. Through Jesus, God is, and listen, he's not begrudgingly, but he is abundantly for you. His unmerited favor is on you. Beloved, do you believe that? It is much greater and even more true than I can communicate. What infinitely greater. And let me just say this. This is not and does not lead to 
man-centered theology. You see, the response to God's grace, to his unmerited favor, is not boasting in self. It's not to say, well, well, look how great I must be if God loves me in this way. That's to totally miss the point. The result of this is a peaceful rest, an assurance, a humble gratitude, a boasting in Christ. Look how great Jesus is. And he's even greater than you could ever imagine. Beloved, in Christ, you receive the abundance of God's grace. Well, second, in Christ, we receive justification, the free gift of righteousness. Now, Paul has been teaching us all throughout Romans about justification, what it means to be justified, to be declared righteous in God's sight. So hopefully, if you've been with us by now, you have a good sense of what that's starting to mean, and it's being drilled down into you. We have used that question from the catechism a few times. What is justification? And justification is an act of God's free grace. So it's something that God and God alone does. He has completed. And what does he do? He pardons all our sins... And he accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Or then I've been asking questions to help us think about what this means. For those who are in Christ, how much sin is in your account? None. None. Remind yourself of that every day. In Christ, how much sin is in your account? None. And the opposite question, how much righteousness is in your account. The full, complete, perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. Now I mentioned earlier that Paul uses that phrase free gift five times in this passage. And verse 17 tells us what it is. It's the free gift of righteousness. This is the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. So if you are in Christ, you are righteous in God's sight. Why? Because of the obedience of Jesus. The obedience of Jesus. So listen, when you are reading the Gospels and you see Jesus always doing what pleased the Father. Every time you read and you're amazed, Jesus always does the perfect, right, good thing. He always knows just what to say. When you see that, him living out this perfect life of righteousness, rejoice. Not only... That he is giving you an example of how to live. But also and even more so that he has laid the foundation for your acceptance with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in him, in Christ alone, in his righteousness alone. Rejoice as you read that, that his obedience is counted as yours. The free gift of his righteousness is credited to your account. Verse 16 says the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. The judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So what's Paul saying? He's saying that judgment and condemnation take into account the one sin of the one man And the whole human race is condemned. That's making a powerful statement to the wickedness and the evil of sin and the glory of the holiness of God. 
But then he says the free gift and justification take into account the many sins, the gazillion sins of a great multitude, your own innumerable sins. And what is this saying? This is saying something powerful about how abundant grace must be and how you could never earn it. You can only ever receive it as a free gift. Someone else has to earn it and then give it to you freely. And beloved, that is exactly what Jesus and Jesus only has done. Verse 16 does not say the free gift following one trespass or the free gift following minor trespasses or the free gift following past trespasses, ones that you have overcome, that you have left behind. So, beloved, no matter how many times you have sinned, no matter how badly you have sinned, no matter how long you have sinned for, list the whole multitude of your sins, your many transgressions, and don't leave a single one out. What does God's free gift of righteousness bring in response to all of them? Justification. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. The verdict of God himself saying to you, You are my child whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. We've mentioned the name John Bunyan here before. Some of you are familiar with his book, Pilgrim's Progress. Well, he also has an excellent little short book that tells the story of his salvation. It's got a wonderful title, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And in that book, he talks about a time when he was wrestling with the assurance of his salvation. And really, I think that's what Paul's trying to give to us as God's children in Romans chapter 5, the assurance of the grace that we have in Christ. So John Bunyan was wrestling with this. He's wondering, can God really forgive me? I've, I've committed this particularly heinous sin. And he writes this, but one day, as he's wrestling with this, I was walking through a field with a little discouragement upon my conscience, fearing that all may not be right with God. And suddenly this sentence fell upon my soul. Your righteousness is in heaven. Your righteousness is in heaven. And with the eyes of my soul, I saw Jesus Christ at God's right hand. He was there as my righteousness. No matter where I was or what I was doing, God could never say that I lacked righteousness for it was there right before him. Moreover, I saw that it was not the good state of my heart that made my righteousness better, nor the bad state of my heart that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then you can understand why he would write, now my chains fell off my legs indeed. I was set free from my affliction and shackles and my temptations also fled away. I went home rejoicing because of the grace and love of God. Beloved, in Christ, you receive the free gift of the perfect and complete and unchanging righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then finally, for those who are in Christ, ultimately, grace reigns through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is 
incredible good news. It is incredible good news. Better than you even know. But it is not true of everyone. It is not true of everyone. It is only for those who are in Christ. And there are many in our world today who are still in Adam. You know, some people will read, they'll hear verse 18, and they will say that this teaches universalism, the, the view that all people will be saved, that, that everyone will go to heaven. Verse 18 says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. But Paul's focus here in this passage is not on the number in each group. Instead, it's on the method of either sin or righteousness being passed from the representative leader to the whole group. So the first all men refers to all who are in Adam, every created human being from birth. And the second all men refers to all those who are in Christ. That is all those who repent of their sin and trust in Jesus, who are given the right to become the children of God. So Paul is saying that all who are condemned are condemned because of the one trespass of Adam. And all who are justified, on the other hand, are justified because of the righteousness of Christ. This is the main argument that Paul has been making in this entire passage. This is why I said the deepest reason why death reigns over all is not because of our individual sins, but because of Adam's sin imputed to us. And that's good news for us because it means the opposite is even much more true. The abundance of grace that is through Jesus is true. So the deepest reason that grace now reigns in your life leading to eternal life is not because of your individual deeds of righteousness. Why is it true? Because of Christ's righteousness imputed to you by grace through faith. This is why sin no longer reigns in your life. Because it does not reign in the life of Jesus. And you are united to him. Grace reigns in Christ. There is no sin in Jesus. Only grace. Beloved, this is a life-changing truth for you. Let me encourage you with this word. I think too many of us do this. And I want to urge you, do not measure whether sin reigns in your life or grace reigns by the amount of sin in your life. That's not the measurement that God uses. It's not the basis of his judgment. How do you measure whether sin reigns in your life or whether grace reigns in your life? Beloved, measure it, believe it, by whether you are in Adam or in Christ. And that is not based on how you feel in the present moment. And it's not based on your circumstances. It's not based on your sin or your suffering. It is based on the true word of God. The abundance of grace that is in Jesus Christ. So how do you know if you're in Christ? How do you know if you're in Adam or in Christ? How do you go from being dead in Adam to being alive in Christ. Well, on the one hand, you don't do anything 
God does it. He brings you. He comes to you when you are united in death in Adam. And he makes your dead bones live. He makes you alive when you were dead. And he takes you out of Adam and places you in Christ. He unites you to life in Christ. He causes you to be born again through the living and abiding word of God. He may be doing it for you right now if you are not yet in Christ because he does it through the preaching of his word. So on the one hand, you don't do anything. The abundance of God's grace comes to you and saves your soul. On the other hand, you do respond. You respond to the call of God, this invitation to be one with Jesus, the free offer of eternal life. Because he's made you alive, you respond with repentance. You acknowledge your guilt and your need and you believe and you trust in Jesus Christ as the Savior. You confess him as your Savior and Lord with great thanksgiving for his free gift of salvation. How do you know if you are in Christ? You are in Christ if you are alive spiritually. Repentance and faith are a common part of your life. And where sin increases now for those who are in Christ, grace abounds all the more. When your sin increases, God's grace abounds all the more. That's why, little preview, we're getting to Romans 6 here. That's why he'll start that by saying, wait a minute. Does that mean I should just sin so that grace can abound? And Paul will say, no way. No way. We're getting to that. But where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. You become more and more aware of the depth of your own sin and more and more aware of the abounding grace of Jesus, which leads you to becoming more and more grateful, more in awe of his grace and glory. And that comes out in loving obedience to his will. Sin and death no longer reign in your life. Grace reigns. Grace reigns through righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus that has been credited to your account and God is also making you righteous in practice. He's given you a new heart. So now your heart longs to please him. You want to obey him. You want to live a life that is pleasing to him and by the grace of Jesus, your life is pleasing to God. Grace reigns in your life through righteousness leading to eternal life. That eternal life, you already have it, but it's not yet perfected. It will be perfected in glory. And all of this is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Beloved, my desire for you, Paul's desire for you, God's desire for you, for me, for all the saints here at Proclamation, is that we would no longer see ourselves as in Adam. That's no longer true of us. That you would no longer live under the weight of guilt and condemnation of sin and death. But you would more and more see that what God says is true of you. That you are in his son, Jesus Christ, and his grace reigns in your life. Adam is no longer your representative. Christ has delivered you from that legacy, that sin, that death that was upon you. He took it upon himself and now your life is wholly bound to Christ. All that is his is now yours. Now here's one last word of good news. This movement 
from being in Adam to being in Christ, it only goes one way. It only goes one way. No, everyone starts out in Adam. And every day, God is rescuing people from death in Adam and placing them in Christ. And that movement can never be reversed. It's a one-way road, and you can't even go the other way on it. So, beloved, if God has brought you from in Adam to in Christ, where death no longer reigns, grace reigns, you can never go back, no matter what you do. Because you didn't get here by what you did. You got here by what God did, and he's not changing his mind. He's not giving you back to Satan and Adam. No, all those who are his are his forever. You cannot undo the work of Jesus Christ. So, beloved, if you are in Christ today, you will always be in Christ. Know on the reflections page we have that one hymn, A Debtor to Mercy Alone, and it talks about the saints in heaven. And when we gather together here, this is why we used Hebrews 12 as our prayer preparation. We gather with the saints in heaven in some mysterious way. They are joining us right now in the worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that song talks about how the saints are no more secure than we are right now. The ones who are actually with Jesus, they're no more secure than we are, they're more happy but they're not more secure than we are. And one day we'll join them in that great happiness. Beloved, grace reigns. And the reign of grace, the reign of Jesus, is undefeated and undefeatable in your life through his righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, your Lord. So I pray that you will rest and rejoice like John Bunyan did, and the abounding grace and love of God that you have in Christ, and that that abundance of grace will overflow out of our lives in grateful obedience and worship and faithful witness to our risen King and coming Lord. Amen.